maximize your sense of aliveness, gain new perspectives on health, your body, and the meaning of life. You can control your physiology and how you feel in your body in this moment. Your life will never be the same. This is the Vitality Podcast with Andrea Page. Tonight, some biases that I don't normally share are that I have spent uh, the larger part of the past 10 years living in Asia, studying many medicinal systems that we have listed out here. I've lived in India in and out for about six, seven years. I spent a good deal of time in China as well as in Taiwan. So in both places, working a lot with uh, not only traditional Chinese medicine doctors, Ayurvedic doctors, but also Siddha medicine doctors, also Tibetan medicine doctors, right? Those are kind of the outskirts of those two uh, more prominent medicinal systems. And so a lot of this comes not only from textbook and reading and personal experience, but from also interviewing hundreds, really, of doctors in these realms. I have a master's of science in something called ethnobotany, which is the study of the relationship between people and plants. So later on in this list of holistic, we could say, or alternative medicinal systems, which is what we'll be talking about this evening, do we find more plant medicine systems, as well as uh, certain, let's say, people or spiritual-based systems of medicine. And so I'll talk about those at the end, try to make sure we have time, and we'll see how we go. All right? So my other bias that is definitely worth mentioning is a large bias toward the large intestine, the colon, elimination. I'm the director of the colonics clinic here, and um, I'm a career colon hydrotherapist. And bottom line is we're all pretty much dehydrated and constipated. Humans are meant to be pooping. How often, Kathleen? Once per meal per day. That should be a news flash for most of you. Something comes in, something should come out, just like babies, just like dogs. Yeah? So that should be a big wake up. And what do we, how much water do we use and lose a day? Kathleen or anyone? I ask her because she's amazing. She just finished our colonics training last month. And so Kathleen's a newly trained Woods Method colon hydrotherapist. Woo! And, um, which means she's been studying with me and she knows I'm going to put her on the spot. <laughs> Hopefully pop quizzes are over. But three liters was her... <laughs> What'd you say? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bring it on. The three liters of water a day is what's required to replace what's lost by the human body. And so if we can just start to wet things up inside more, we'll slide through and we'll poop more. And just through that hydration and pooping more, most problems go away. So health really is simple, and that's what I'm here to remind people of. Awesome. So we will also have more energy, Adam's request for this evening. We will have more energy if we poop more and hydrate more. It's also that simple. So in talking about uh, alternative or holistic or traditional medicine systems, as we will be tonight, I've written out a list of them. And I'll start with the one that I specialize in, which is, of no coincidence, also the one that's the oldest, and to some extent, the one that the rest of these are based upon. And it is natural medicine. In fact, I don't even like using the word medicine when I talk about it. We could say, rather, natural healing. 
And this idea of healing, which is balance, this is as old as man or woman. It's us in environment. And so in my master's under the Department of Anthropology, I went back in time three to four million years, looking at that center where humans evolved away from the rest of the primate family, the great apes, our closest cousins, with whom we still share sometimes 96 or more percent of our DNA right, with chimpanzees, orangutans. That's a lot of DNA to be sharing. <laughs> it's like almost all, up to 98%. Yeah. And so we find that when we evolved away from them and became our human form, became the only true bipedal beings on Earth, the only true two-footed, upright walking beings, right? We are miraculous beings. I don't think that anyone in the room would doubt that. We're all biased because we are humans, after all. But we've gone through a lot, and we've gotten through a lot because of who and what we are. And one of our amazing abilities is to always find a way to balance things out. I would say up until maybe a few hundred years ago, right? because we seem to be on a decline. And that's the reality. This is a little tangent. I'm already going on tangents. That's the reality is that all of this neo-environmental stuff, which really has been going on the past 50 years, right, of save the Earth and all of that, it's not so much the Earth that needs to be saved. For sure, we're having species die off at a rate of almost 50%, which is unprecedented really in history. But what we need to save is ourselves. It's not the Earth. The Earth will be here. The Earth will regenerate. The Earth will recycle. It's the human species. We're kind of, what is it, like hitting ourselves on the head without realizing it's our head that we're hitting. Yeah. Big old brain in there somehow doesn't calculate. So just to set that straight as it is, but before you know, we started creating more destruction than positive balance, before the scales were tipped, we were pretty good at this thing called balance. And so for millennia, we went through using natural healing or the wisdom of balance, which employs the elements. And the elements. What are the elements? Can you tell me? Earth, fire. Isn't this a band? Wind. Earth, fire. Water. Okay, now they mentioned wood and metal, which are specific to Chinese medicine. Uh, we have any more? Ether. So earth, fire, water, ether, yeah, or air. And then these other two cursory ones, wood and metal, which we see come in in more of a Chinese medicinal system. But we see there are different elements. Can you, do you know what those are? Right, I'm going to ask you an easy one. Ready? What's this? Oh, it wasn't easy after all. <laughs> There's a little hesitation. Yes, it is a wood floor, so wood, but in general, earth, which we could say they're similar, as long as we understand. All right, now what's this? Okay, or ether, right? Air, space, they're similar. If there was a breeze in the room, it would be much clearer that it's air. And then just feeling the energy between your hands, you can do it if you like, if you have experience with that, right? That's ether. And point your fingertips toward one another, extend them. Just tap into what we call in yoga prana, what we call in Chinese medicinal practices chi. Yeah. In Japan, it's called ki. 
Right? It's this life force energy. So that's ether. All right. Now, take a swallow and swallow some saliva. What's that? Good, water. Fluid, liquid. Okay. We also, I hear some water dripping somewhere outside. It rained this morning in Bali. Water, the oceans, water, the rivers, water, easy. And we see that each has also a quality to it. What quality does the earth have? Yeah, kind of grounded, maybe solid. Solid. Right, the water, what quality does it have to it? Flowing, all right. How about the air, the wind blowing in the room? A similar flow. So how do they differ? Okay, one's drier, one's wet. That's interesting. If you have a lot of air vapor, then that could still be wet. How about the speed of the flowing? It can differ with both cases. But the water is somehow going to be organized. There's more or less an organized flow. Right? In physics, we can see that there's a polarity to water. Have you ever seen it stays together? There's a rounded edge. Whereas air, it's a, it's a bit more chaotic, spastic, all over the place, sporadic. Okay, so that's, that's a differ between those two types of flow. All right, now everyone, I'd like you to pretend that you're lions. Are you ready? Repeat after me. Good. There were like three of you who didn't do that, and you're like, what are you? <laughs> All right, what did you sense? Power. I like that. Anything else? Vibration. Vibration. Did anyone get different temperature in your body? I feel it right now in my belly. Hotter. Got hotter. So what element would this relate to? Fire. So we can see the elements everywhere and in everything. They exist in Earth in perfection, in perfect balance. Fire, earth, water, air, ether, they're all there in perfect balance. And when they come out of balance, either outside of us or inside of us, is when some state of illness occurs. Okay? So, for example, when you have a migraine, or when you're super stressed and your nervous system can't just calm down, that's a lot of energy where? In the head, all right, so that's kind of up, right? And I'm gonna make this kind of shaky, yeah, maybe air, it could be air-related, right? Too much air, or stress, perhaps even, maybe too much fire, who knows, right? Too much tension, right? So what we would do, uh, in traditional naturopathy, which came from an Indian, actually an Indian practice called nature cure, which I'm trained in, is we would take a glob of mud and we would make a patty out of it and we would make this lovely eye mask out of mud for you. And you would lay down, perhaps if you were also doing some other therapy, you would put your legs up, perhaps and you would wear an eye mask of mud. What's mud? Do you see that? And so natural medicine is super simple. Right? You can all graduate and become natural medicine practitioners after this class. It's simple. 
you see what is. You see the elemental behind it. You see what's imbalanced. And you see what would complement that. And so to some extent, all of these systems that I'm about to talk about embrace that foundation of natural healing. Does that make sense? Okay. So you could put that mud pack anywhere. It doesn't have to be your, your eyes. That was just for our example. Right? The belly's a great one for digestion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay? Good. So in the natural world, however, there is indeed this one practice of just not doing anything, which tends to create a whole lot better results. What would be that practice, Kathleen? Here, pop goes on over. Fasting. Oh, see, she gets them all right. Good. <laughs> Fasting. Doing nothing at all. Fastest way to heal. Has anyone ever had a puppy dog? Yeah? Love the dogs. And when they feel sick, and you say, come on, Fido, or Fido, whatever the dog's name is. Eat, eat, come on, eat. Why are you eating? Come on. And he's like, mommy, my stomach hurts. Rough, rough. The dog doesn't eat. It fasts naturally. We see this all throughout the natural world. If an animal is sick, it doesn't require its body to process anything. Remember that? Up to 70% of energy goes to digestion. So what if we gave that 70%, up to 70% of energy back to our body to take its time to heal? That's pretty efficient. Right? And so the work that I do here at the Yoga Barn is really re-empowering people to this self-healing ability that often we're really disconnected from today. And so you guys can tune in to... I have multiple fasting lectures on the podcast series. If you want to hear more, I have a do-it-yourself fasting lecture, all of this, to get more in tune. Uh, but in general, natural medicine is super, super simple. Perhaps fasting could be an air treatment or an ether treatment right? if there's too much fire or earth. You see that? And that's really what it does. And of course, air and ether are the two most spacious, which hold that space of, for transformation. Remember I told you? I witness transformation fastest when someone's fasting. It's interesting how all these things link back together. All right, so in general, the last thing I'll say before we move into these more modern medicinal systems is that I do consider them modern, and you might think that's crazy because you've heard that Chinese medicine and Ayurveda are so ancient, ancient systems of healing when they're maybe two, three, four, five, six thousand years old. Whereas what I'm talking about with natural healing is three to four million years old. That's like an arm's length distance versus the length of my pinky nail. You see, it's quite different. It's all about our scope. How humans were living in environment in the elements. This is natural healing. Humans, once they came into civilization and started living in communities, often around rivers, in cities or creating societies, this is when we needed specific systems of medicine rather than that implied system of healing and balance. Does that make sense? 
Do you understand why all of these systems of medicine, which I consider modern systems of medicine, they would be based off of the premises of natural medicine itself and the premises of the elements and simplicity, which is what fasting is. So there's a lot more similarity between them, no matter where we are in the world, than there is difference. From there, I'll take a moment to go through each one and someone remind me at the bottom, I should talk about allopathic medicine, of course. Can't leave that one out. <laughs> but we'll start up here at A, perfect place to start, Ayurveda. Ayurveda means the science of life. Hmm? And so Ayurveda is the dominant medicinal system coming from North India. Coming from most of the South Asian subcontinent. And Ayurveda is a system coming directly from the Vedas. The Vedas are the books of wisdom or knowledge. The books of yoga are the Vedas. And so we find that Ayurveda is a sister science to yoga. Does that make sense? And just like any healing system, it has many different parts to it. Some of the parts that get, let's say, talked about or publicized more than others are the constitutional basis, the cleansing technique, and the dietary regime. And so I'll just talk about those three parts, if I can remember them. What was the first one I said? The constitutional basis in Ayurveda, we have three different groupings or categories of people. Right? What it is, is an observation of habits. And these constitutions are called doshas. Have you heard of doshas before? Some of you yogis might have. People who have been through a yoga teacher training definitely have. Dosha actually means incorrect or error or imbalance. Not many people have that kind of understanding. But it's like, where is your prominent imbalance? Because remember, Ayurveda is a medicine of civilization. And what does civilization do? It uproots us from the earth. We're no longer living in nature or with nature. We're living on top of nature, dominating it. So that inherently solicits imbalance. Does that make sense? And so a system of medicine versus, let's say, a system of health is a system that always works to try to somehow balance out that imbalance, albeit often in an artificial way. Yeah, through using food or an actual medicine or something else, rather than simply stimulating the balance from inside the body. And when we get into allopathic medicine, this will come much clearer. But in general, Ayurveda, the three constitutions or doshas, anyone know them? Yeah, very good. So vata, pitta, kapha. Of no surprise, guess what? They each pair two elements. And so vata... It's someone who's normally tall and skinny. This would be a quite decent vata pitta, but vata, vata kind of expression. Someone who's tall and skinny, yeah, more of an air, spacey tendency to them. Yeah. Light, you see that? Kind of a sporadic energy, like we said about air. The second one, pitta, it's going to be fire. You see the fire? I have a lot of pitta, so you can look at me for this one. It's someone who's more medium in every way, maybe more muscular, right? has something to them. Very active force. This is pitta. 
And the last one, kapha, right, is going to have more of a dense, rounder, heavier, you know, someone who's like, I don't know, an overweight opera singer who's loving and rich. We don't have anyone who's screaming kapha in this room, so I don't have any examples. But that kind of energy, you know, that's kapha. Right? And that's, it's meant to be like more of a denser, thicker energy. Right? It represents more of also earth and water. Yeah, that groundedness. Hmm? The slow ease to it. Okay? So those are distinct, right? And they pair up with the elements. And so we essentially embody the elements through what Ayurveda says is our constitution. And quite often these imbalances the doshas, right? you'll have more than one. So I said you're a great vata example, but you're also pitta. So I would think you're probably vata pitta. I don't know if you know your dosha. I'm the opposite. I'm pitta vata, yeah? et cetera, et cetera. So you guys could see an Ayurvedic specialist or take some quiz online or something if you're curious more about this. But my advice is not to go and try to put all your emphasis into studying your imbalance. Let's just trust that the body knows how to balance itself out because balance is health and not worry so much about these imbalances. Does that make sense? So that's the first part of Ayurveda that I said I would talk about, the constitutionality, if you could save your question for the end, yeah. The second part is the cleansing techniques, the cleansing rituals, the panchakarma, which you guys talked about to me this morning. These are five specific rituals used to essentially clear every passageway of the body, from the inner system through massage practices to the nasal system through nyasa, clearing out the nasal passage, as well as the use of things like neti pots, right? It's like colon hydrotherapy for your sinuses. <laughs> and then, of course, some kind of colon cleansing, right? Cleansing out the passageway of elimination, right? usually using different techniques than we would here, often employing the use of oil versus natural medicine, which would just use water. Other of the five cleansing techniques include things that aren't often practiced today, like leeching, literally bloodletting, putting a leech on you and allowing that leech to suck blood out of you. You don't find that often practiced, but that's actually the fifth, the panch of the five karmas or five actions. Right? And so the cleansing, the need for cleansing is very clearly stated in Ayurvedic medicine. Because the thing is, when we didn't have a world of such toxicity, we didn't have such a need for cleansing. When we were pooping once per meal per day and not eating so much, we didn't have such a need for cleansing. Right? When we weren't living on top of nature and living in cities and sitting at cubicles all day every day, we didn't have such a need for cleansing. But in these medicines of civilization, it came out for sure that we need to do a little cleansing. And so this is by all means valid that Ayurvedic medicine would have developed a system of cleansing techniques. The third part of the Ayurveda paradigm that I mentioned that I would talk about is diet, the dietary advice. And this is the part that I'm often most critical about publicly as well as when I teach yoga teacher trainings because I'm a firm believer after living so long in India that the modern Ayurvedic dietary advice has greatly been altered 
to fit the modern Indian diet. And mind you, the modern Indian diet is not really a healthy one, where we see India is now the nation with the highest rate of diabetes worldwide. People are only getting fatter and sicker, not that much far behind the United States. This is what I did my master's thesis research on, an academic concept called the nutrition transition, where we learn that as people start to eat diets higher in processed foods like sugar and wheat, higher in processed or hydrogenated oils, higher in animal products, meat, dairy, there's a tremendous rise in diet and lifestyle-related diseases, things like diabetes, cancer, heart disease, autoimmune diseases, and obesity. And the work that I've done under specifically Colin T. Campbell out of Cornell University, the author of the longest clinical nutrition study, the China study, we've shown time and time again that through diet and lifestyle changes, coming back towards something more aligned with natural healing, specifically a plant-based diet and an active, hydrated, pooping lifestyle, (laughs) we can not only prevent, but pause and reverse those lifestyle diseases that I talked about. So there are greatest maladies of our time, but they don't have to be. They're in our control. And the thing is, it's not like you just go to one of these Chinese medicine doctors or even a Tibetan medicine doctor or an Ayurvedic medicine doctor and get healed. It's every day. That's what diet and lifestyle means. It means that you have the power to be your own doctor and to allow your body to heal itself. Does that make sense? All right. So I only say that criticism of the Ayurvedic dietary regimen also because the Vedas themselves are very explicit that freshly fallen fruit is the purest yogic food. And so it's clear that that's very different than dietary advice of eating tremendous amounts of ghee and roti, chapati, like wheat, bread, and paneer, cheese, and fried food, perhaps, or even overly, densely, heavily cooked food, et cetera, et cetera. Does that make sense? All right, cool. I'm glad we got that far. And I have biases. I'm really honest about them, so I'm not... (laughs) Yeah. You can take them as you like. All right. That doesn't mean that it doesn't help. I'll say that as well. Uh, A great demonstration of this is, for example, if you have a stomach ache and you go to an Ayurvedic medicine doctor, he'll tell you to eat some kitchari. Do you know what kitchari is? It's dal and rice. That's the most simple Indian dish that you'll ever find, right? Like two ingredients and a bunch of spices. Because normally Indian dishes are super complicated. And so what has he done? Well, he's essentially told you to fast as much as he could. By simplifying, you see, if someone had a stomachache and they came to me, I would tell them to stop eating. Do you see that similarity? Again, this list, things are more similar than they are different. All right, let's get out of Ayurveda and get on with the show. From Ayurveda, I want to skip quickly to Siddha medicine. Siddha medicine is one that's quite underrated. 
In Ayurveda, which dominated the north part of the Indian subcontinent, the Aryan race, mind you, Hitler used that word incorrectly, so we have a big misunderstanding of what it is, but it came from Persian culture right, and perforated through North India. That's where Ayurveda comes from. Siddha medicine, on the other hand, was in the south of India, in Sri Lanka. It was from the Dravidian people, the southern tip of the Indian subcontinent. They're darker skinned, if any of you have ever traveled to, for example, Tamil Nadu or even Sri Lanka itself. Yeah. We find that Siddha medicine, South Indian medicine, has a lot of similarities to Ayurveda, but also lots of unique, amazing, magical differences. Right? They'll use a lot of the same herbs. Right? They'll have some of the same elemental understandings. But Siddha medicine, what it thrives in uh, and where it's really been able to heal is through applying the elements in a homeopathic way. All right, now you ready for this? I was fortunate enough to visit uh, a clinic outside of Trivandrum in uh, southern India, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. And at that clinic, really unique setup. They had all different kinds of doctors, right? They had a Western doctor, they had a Siddha medicine doctor, they had an Ayurvedic medicine doctor, and maybe a few others. And they all sat together to review all these cases. And who would they take in? They would take in patients from Europe who were told that their disease was terminal or incurable. And they would say, fly here, and we'll see what we can do. And so what would the Siddha medicine doctor do? He would take, for example, like cases of muscular dystrophy, or multiple sclerosis. Right? They would, of course, have a certain dietary regime and things like this. But they would take that client and look and say, okay, there's a muscle here or everywhere that's underactive. The tissues are no longer working in the way they should be. So what we're going to do is apply the idea of homeopathy or even vaccines. Do you guys know about homeopathy or vaccines where you have a minute trace, trace, trace dose of what you would call the poison. And when you take that in, it's supposed to trigger your body to respond on an immune system level to produce the healing as if it were fighting off the real disease. Does that make sense? Okay. So they would take that to the muscular level and say, all right, you're not working. Well, let's hurt you and see if you start to heal. And so what Siddha Medicine does, specifically in, for example, these muscular skeletal Issues is they'll, they'll use burn therapy. They'll burn you, but remove the kilojoules from the heat in a way that I still can't physically, in physics, wrap my mind around. So don't ask me to explain it to you more. <laughs> Feel free to research it on your own. But they'll remove the hotness from the heat. Maybe Kathleen can explain to us later. <laughs> and once that's applied to your leg, for example... You won't feel like you're being burnt, right? Your skin itself won't respond in the burn. But your body will receive that energy in the form of heat as if it were being burnt. And what would happen if you were actually burnt? Your body would go into self-healing immediately. Of course, it has a wound that it's going to have to repair. It's going to send lots of blood flow, oxygenation, life force, healing energy, and it's going to start to repair. And so what do they find? So the medicine finds that by using this kind of dosing, rebalancing through the elements, for example, in this case, fire, in that homeopathic way, they can have tremendous healing, right? where allopathic medicine has no clue. 
Does that make sense? Pretty amazing stuff. So that's a little preview into Siddha medicine, the other part of Indian medicine. Lesser known, lesser seen. All right. Let's head over to the Eastern world and get through these two, Chinese and Tibetan medicine. A lot, a lot, a lot to say here. Now, Chinese medicine is way more complicated than it's given because of the Cultural Revolution mid-last century from Chairman Mao. A lot of Chinese indigenous knowledge was destroyed. The Han people, which make ethnically up more than 95% of Chinese people, one ethnic group, right? all of the ethnic diversity of China is now almost huddled or elbowed out to Yunnan province in the southwest of the country. We find that what remains is ch Chinese medicine. And there's a, there's a slight difference between Chinese medicine and traditional Chinese medicine. Both of them essentially stem from the emperor's yellow book of medicine. This is a very important medicinal text, right? It's kind of like Gray's Anatomy or something for Western medicine. <laughs> like gray, yellow, it's all the same colors. That, that was a big joke. Anyone? Okay. Anyway, so Chinese medicine relies full-heartedly on the elements. And there are three main parts of Chinese medicine, just like we talked about three kinds of parts of Ayurvedic medicine. And so the elements are definitely one of these main parts. We talked about substituting some of them out in Chinese medicine. We have metal and we have wood. And so just so we understand what those are, metal would be something that has a tinniness to it something that has an impermanence to it, something that has a hardness to it. And we see how that differs from earth, for example. Wood is something that has a spaciousness to it. It's like an airy version of earth. Does that, do you see that? Yeah. So the, these are like idiosyncrasies of the elemental system. And Chinese medicine uses them in a way in which they feed one another. If you look up Chinese medicine elements on Google, which you guys can do tonight if you'd like, you'll see kind of like a pentagram, a star, between these five elements. And you'll see that they feed each other and they work with each other. In the same way that I said, if you have that airy condition in your head with the headache and you come to a nature cure clinic, we'll put some earth or some mud on your face to graft you. In the same way, same kind of idea here. So Chinese medicine, first, elements. And the elements, of course, correlate to seasons. They correlate to times of the day. They correlate to all of this. Uh, in Ayurveda, the doshas also correlate to seasons. They also correlate to times of the day and times of your life. Yeah, there's correlations to all of this. There are so many patterns in our human existence that we're simply blind to in the modern world. And so waking up to these medicines of civilization helps us to reestablish these patterns. The second premise of Chinese medicine that we'll discuss is the meridian system. And the meridian system itself has to do with energy, or qi, as we call it, running through the body. Okay. In Chinese medicine, there are 14 main meridians, yeah, 12 meridians specifically, and then the governing meridian, and two auxiliary, we could say, meridians. And these mostly are correlated to organs. Yeah. And so the spleen, has its own meridian, the, the liver, the small intestine, the large intestine, right, the heart, all of these different organs have an energetic representation that travels through the body. Yeah. So for example, the lung and the large intestine, they're married. I remember I have that bias toward the large intestine. 
Right? And so we look at certain parts of the day when they're more active, the chi is flowing more through those meridians. Right? For example, 3 to 5 a.m., that's when the, the energy or the chi is running through the lung meridian. This is a great time to wake up. If you've ever met any Tibetan, Buddhist, or Chinese monks, they're probably waking up at that time. What's the first thing we do when we wake up? <sighs> Big old stretch. So the lung meridian, which is right here, gets stretched. You see? There's a lot more of this that's intuitive to us than we would think. Right? On the inside of the thumb all the way up to the inside of the shoulder. Large intestine, right on the other side, on the outside inner arm. Yeah. Yin, lung, large intestine, yang. Yeah. And so we start to see that... Um, there is a marriage there, and that these organ systems or these meridian systems work in pairs, and they can tend to give us clues. And so, for example, the lungs and the large intestine are very related. If someone's constipated, they're often not breathing calmly. They're holding their breath as they're holding their colon. You see that? There's a lot, lot more we could go in uh, to this. Um, for example, there's emotions linked. Chinese medicine is this rich, vast system. And so the emotions linked respectively in this same coupling, the lungs and the large intestine, the large intestine has to do with not letting go, with holding on. Makes sense if we go back to constipation, right? And the lungs have to do with grief. Well, not letting go and grief, don't those sound like they go together? So what would be the opposite of that? Finishing a process of mourning, grief, letting go, right, and releasing. And so if you have asthma right, or constipation, these are things that we can start to look at. Go into the elements, see what they're fed by, right? Finding a way to find balance. All right? The third uh, premise of Chinese medicine is going through uh, what's called heaven, earth, and man. It's just kind of a reality check. We have it a lot of times in yoga where we say that nothing's really real. And in Chinese medicine, there are higher forces, right? heaven. Right? There are lower forces, earth, things like matter. And then man, there's the reality of personality and psychology. This would be like the doshas, for example. So that's a, it's a way more advanced topic that I don't have time because we're already one minute over and I'm going to finish this list because I love you guys. All right. So... Tibetan medicine, stemming from that, is it's actually quite different than Chinese medicine. However, it's based upon the same, more or less, worldview and reality. I would say, personally, it embraces a lot more Buddhism as a religious, ethnographic implant. Um, Tibetan medicine uses different herbs simply because if we look at the massive landmass between China and Tibet, you better bet that in those different ecological regions, you're going to find similar and very differing herbs. And so they use some sim herbs, but they use many different herbs as well. In Tibetan medicine, the dosage of the herbs, in Chinese medicine often the herbs are made in tea form. And so you'll get barks or you'll get um, different animal feet or you'll get uh, certain leaf matter of plants and you'll be asked to make teas from them and drink the fresh tea. Often it's very pungent or bitter. It'll have lots of flavor to it. In Tibetan medicine, the medicine delivery system is quite different. They make these cool little balls. It's like herb balls. And then you take the ball and you crush it. 
as a powder, and then you take that powder as your medicine. Yeah, maybe you mix it in some water to make the tea that way. So it's, it's a different delivery system. And that might have to do with the fact that in Tibet, we have quite harsh weather conditions. And so the herbs are going to store quite well in those balls. Yeah. That's just a guess from my anthropological review. But from there, we'll move away from East Asia and see how there are similarities from South Asia, what we learned about Ayurveda and Siddha medicine, but also there are differences. Something that I didn't mention, of course, with Chinese medicine is acupuncture. It's a big part of the practice of Chinese medicine. What that is, is literally altering or redirecting the flow of qi through the body. That's the takeoff from the meridian system. When we can see those meridians, or at least feel them, or take pulse, which both, all of the medicinal systems I've mentioned do take pulse, both Ayurveda, Siddha medicine, Chinese medicine, and Tibetan medicine, right? they'll start to decipher or be able to feel into where there are certain blockages. For example, if you're still grieving, maybe there's something going on in the lungs. If you're constipated, there's definitely some blockage in the large intestine. Can you see that? And so getting those blockages moving, specifically finding out where they are in the body and asking the energy to be either seduced to or from or through the point. And so that's what the needles do. An acupuncturist is literally using their own chi, their life force energy, to redirect the chi inside of the person's body. And you'll feel it if you've ever had acupuncture and a good acupuncturist. In China, the question is, Dao de qi ma? It's, do you feel the qi? Do you, do you feel it? And you'll feel it versus not feeling it. You should feel it. You should feel something. All right, everyone's homework. Within the next six months, have a session of acupuncture. If you need a recommendation for practitioners in Bali, come ask me. All right. From there, we will move on toward the latter half. Uh, we have listed out here under a category of perhaps herbal medicine, would be European medicine. Right? More of a Celtic-inspired, you can think, from the British Isles. Yeah. This overlaps into earth medicine, which Christianity would label paganism. Essentially, any kind of earth-worshipping indigenous system that wasn't Christianity it was called paganism. That's what paganism means. It's not anything specific. It's just what it's not. Yeah? It's kind of like the word Gentile. It's just not. It's negating. It's not describing anything. It's just saying what it's not. All right? So these paganistic traditions or Celtic traditions or herbal traditions right, of the British Isles and moreover of continental Europe at large are very much based upon plant medicine, on certain plant families and their ability to heal. For example, a really common one that might be useful to you guys sometimes, the Lamiaceae family, which is at large all over Europe, as well as other temperate regions of the earth. The Lamiaceae family is the pungent. It's like our herbal family. Look at things like basil, rosemary, thyme, parsley, oregano. Right? Where was my oregano friend? Right? We find that these are very pungent. They're very smelly. They're very flavorful. They're part of the Lamiaceae family botanically. These plants have many medicinal properties, many detoxifying properties, but they also are really good coagulators for blood. So if you're ever out camping or doing something in the wild and you get a cut, 
go find a plant that's really smelly. Chew it up in your mouth. That's often how plants are processed. And then spit it out. Make a potus right there on the cut. The medicinal properties of the plant will help the blood to clot. Okay? So understanding again, balance, understanding healing, understanding how to use the earth. This evolved naturally wherever we were living. Now, when we take that kind of what I wrote up here also, bush medicine, uh, I, I studied Aboriginal studies in Australia, but I didn't get into the medicinal system so much. And I know that they must be there. If they're still surviving or not is a whole other conversation. If anyone listening to this or if any of you have any resources, I would be super interested in learning more about uh, Maori or all of the different indigenous Australian populations and bush medicine. Uh, but it's more or less under the same premise. What do we need? Right, how can we create balance? Hmm? From there, we branch over into more, not necessarily psychosomatic or psychospiritual, but otherworldly types of healing. And so shamanism is the first one that I've written out here. And shamanism is definitely something I've studied uh, in time in Guatemala, as well as Peru and Bolivia and Ecuador, in Colombia, where we deepen into another way of existence, another way of understanding, another way of being, Another way of knowing. Yeah? There's a great, great video that changed my life when I saw it. And I recommend to all of you, maybe I'll post it on my Facebook page. It's by Wade Davis. It was his TED Talk that he gave in, I think, 2003. Uh, Endangered Cultures at the Edge of the Earth is what it's called. Wade Davis is an ethnobotanist um, who now works for National Geographic. Uh, whether that's a sellout job or not, I, I won't speak to, but um, it's a fantastic video. And he goes through many different indigenous cultures uh, and talks about how reality is seen differently. And one of my favorite examples that he gives in this video is in reference to ayahuasca and shamans that he was working with in Peru, where the shamans, do you guys know about ayahuasca? Yeah, yeah it's becoming quite popular in the world of today. Right, this is plant medicine, which has tremendous scientifically documented ability to heal, whether that's healing of addiction, whether that's healing of grief, whether that's healing of mental disturbance. Mind you, these are all Western clinical medical terms. They could all really be one thing in some other system of medicine. Allopathic medicine is just only one system of medicine, one way to see the world. But anyway, ayahuasca itself is not one plant, but two two plants that are very different, and yet somehow in this huge thousands of species of flora, these people, these shamans, have found these two plants that come together to create the effect of ayahuasca. One plant specifically reduces certain enzymes from the stomach so that the other plant can get by. All right. The first one has its own effect. And the second plant is what we know as the effect of ayahuasca. But in conjunction, right, there's a whole greater than the sum of its parts. So in general, shamanism is using plant medicine in a whole different way to embrace an essence of journeying where we go beyond the body and beyond the mind. 
We do what's called shape shift through space and time. We leave this reality completely, and when we come back, whatever imbalance there was has simply disappeared. And so that's the job of the shaman. And when we ground into local medicine, where we are right here in Bali, that's often also the job of the Balian. The Balian can prescribe some herbal medicine, can put some cream wherever you need it. But a lot of times it's either through ceremony, ritual, or through tapping into what's called the taksu here in Bali, the direct channel of source. Getting directly into that and receiving healing from there. It's kind of like a shamanistic journey. And so the Balian is a type of shaman, at least traditionally. And so shamanism as a system of medicine, it's again this really broad term that could be prescribed or, or labeled on many, many, many different indigenous cultures all over the world. But as a category, it's going beyond what we perceive as reality. And last but not least, the last thing we'll talk about, unless I can take a minute to talk about allopathic medicine, will be the continent that we've left out. What's that? Africa. Yeah, there we go. Someone, someone's rallying for Africa. Africa. As if we assume that Africa has no indigenous medicine. And it does. We can see traces of it in the African diaspora before the time when not only the land not only the people of Africa were both incredibly, not only put through the process of colonialism, but then imperialism with it. This raping of the land as well as the people has left very few traces of truth. And then, of course, implanting a culture of Christianity or Islam all over Africa, which weren't there indigenously. You see? There's lots of uprooting that's happened. And so a way that we can start to see historically, indigenously, what was there in Africa is through the African diaspora. And one of the clearest places where the African diaspora is alive and well is Haiti. You know, Haiti, the place that had that massive earthquake only a few years ago? Devastating. Does anyone know the indigenous practices of Haiti? Yeah, Vudun. And so when we look at Vudun, we see all of the sudden this indigenous sub-Saharan African shamanism light up. And so this great quote from the Vudu is, you white people go to church and pray to God. We dance in circle and ceremony and we become God. You see that difference? Why all this separation between us and earth? Right? This is the duality that we try to overcome with yoga. That's what yoga is, the unity beyond duality. You are God. And so as soon as you remember that and begin to embody that, you are healed, you are whole. There is no more need for medicine. Does that make sense? All right. So that's our indigenous systems of healing lecture for today. One non-indigenous system, which is the dominating system alive today, is that of allopathic medicine, which is a branch out from Western science, 
Allopathic medicine uses often pharmaceutical and surgical medicine, if not some kind of radio medicine through x-rays, things like that. Diagnostic tools and techniques, different laboratory implications, additions, or subtractions. That's the medicinal system of allopathic medicine. We could talk about it as a system, just like we've talked about all the other ones. However, that's the dominating one today. It's one that has a great potential to make a whole lot of money. Because what it does is not anywhere close to heal, but it maintains imbalance. It maintains imbalance. So for example, and I often talk about this in terms of hormone replacement, any kind of thyroid imbalance, but let's take a different part of physiology today, go to the circulatory system and look at something like high blood pressure, which is so easy to correct. Within four days of last month's fasting retreat, someone who was on blood pressure medication for 15 years, within four days, we brought her reading back to normal. How? Shout it out. Fasting. Fasting. You guys got it right. Very good. Look, the body has the ability to heal itself. I'm sorry if I didn't say that at the the beginning because that's what natural healing and natural hygiene is. The body has the ability to heal itself. We just have to give it the time and space, okay? So back to allopathic medicine, and then I'll I'll try to finish on an inspiring note after that. But allopathic medicine looks at the imbalance. So for example, high blood pressure. And rather than fixing or empowering the body to fix its own imbalance, what it does is artificially induce the illusion of balance so that the readings will always read balanced. So for example, with the thyroid, if you have underproduction of a hormone, rather than stimulating your body to produce more of the hormone, which maybe medicine would do, right? that stimulation of your body to respond, it will put the medication in to this space of imbalance so that it creates this falsity of balance. And then what do you have to do? You have to take that again and again and again and again every single day of your life. Cha-ching! Sounds like a good way to make some money. No surprise that that's the dominating system of today. And I don't mean to put allopathic medicine down, especially when it comes to acute traumatic industry. Industry. (laughs) Injury. (laughs) That was a Freudian slip. (laughs) We find... That surgical intervention can save lives, for sure. I don't know, maybe the shamanism could also save lives because it has a lot to do with our intent. And medical science and surgical medicine definitely spares a lot of lives also, or has a lot of accidents. So it's all give or take. That's just where we are today. But the thing is, unless we wake up to this list of other systems of healing, unless we come back to our own body and our own inherent ability to heal, this will be forgotten. And so allow this to be a little bit of a wake up for all of you listening to this for whatever reason to remember and to see that the body not only has its own power but that we have the ability to heal and that things are possible long 
beyond what we've been told our whole lives. So thank you all so much for joining and thank you for embracing this bit out of the water topic today. It's a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Vitality Podcast. Please click over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review to spread this work with the world. You have a part in transforming humanity's health. Keep enjoying this free resource and make sure to give back by sharing, subscribing, and checking out all of Andrea's work at liveforvitality.com, where you can find links to Instagram and other social media. Andrea also gives astrology readings, holds online fasting retreats, and teaches detox courses and advanced yoga teacher trainings. So come to liveforvitality.com and let Andrea transform your life now.